Welcome to episode 23 of the Various and Sundry podcast. I am your host, Matt Harmon, joined in physical studio by the man who is committed to growing grass. That's right. John Sloat. And that's not a euphemism. I'm actually <laughs> growing real grass, right. not some kind of drug. Yeah. That's right. Yes. Desperately committed to overcoming the overwhelming odds in his new subdivision of being able to grow a decent yard. Yeah. Yeah. Grass doesn't grow in clay. I mean, no. that's that's one of the issues. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll have to maybe do some updates along the way here to keep tabs on your on your grass growing. Yeah. Yeah. I go I, I have wild swings where I was telling Andrea this morning <laughs> where I'm I'm hopeful that, you know, I have visions of like, oh, my goodness, it's going to come up perfectly because of the diligence we've put into it and all these things. And then I have I swing to the other side where like this is never going to come up. It's just going to be a mud pit forever. So so I have the I have wild swings. I see. I see. Well, uh, you can uh, reach out and connect with us on Twitter at V and S pod. And you can contact us by email. Various and sundry podcast at gmail.com. And you can connect with us on Facebook. We have our own page, Various and Sundry Podcast page, where you can give us a like and a follow. And share our share our episodes so that our that. audience can yeah. grow. Yeah, and uh, we we were encouraged that our last episode, it seems like that that managed to happen and caught some, sort of brought some people into our discussion of uh, of uh, deconversion stories. But I this is an opportunity for us to heap praise upon our audience, <laughs> because last week we had noted that we had gone a solid probably four weeks yeah, without, without any without any, any reviews. reviews or uh, or ratings on on iTunes and listeners. You responded in mass. Well, at least four of you. Four, did. four people, <laughs> four people responded. Yes, so we were especially thankful for the. Uh, for the four listeners, one of whom even noted, I listened on Google Play, but I came onto iTunes just to give a review. So shout we, out. We appreciate that. Yeah. The extra effort, the extra Absolutely. mile, as it were. Yes, yes. Appreciate that, that very much. And uh, one of those reviews mentioned that um, they would like to see a Q&A episode where we take audience questions and answer them. And so... Um, we're not committing to that yet, but we just want to let you know we are. We have discussed that. We've brainstormed yeah. that. We've thought about that, and so it's part of our board meetings. Yeah, yeah, our high-powered, high-level mm-hmm. board meetings with, you know, in our expensive conference rooms here at Grace with yeah. the plexiglass or whatever kind of special glass that is, where we write on it and brainstorm our our big ideas. I thought you meant plexiglass dividing people no, into their like little cubicles I, so that I, they I don't get coronavirus. Told, yeah. We have both been told that the <laughs> the plexiglass invasion is coming. Yeah, yeah. We need to buy stock in plexiglass. I, yeah, it's... if I could figure out how to do it, yeah, I I, I would. But um, yeah, that'll be interesting to see what happens this fall. Is I, yeah, I don't envy the people on that committee making decisions about yeah. how do we come on board with that. But in any case. Uh, we do actually have some sports news to talk about this dun, week. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> we have a, a plan in place for the NBA to come back. So um, do you want to walk through what this looks like? Or Yeah, yeah. So uh, my understanding is that it will be at 
Disney Disneyland Disney World Resort in Orlando, Florida. Yep. Uh, they're going to start at the end of what do we July? July thirty first, I think is. And the... I think they're going to have a three week sort of training camps to get get them back into shape. They're going to have a small regular season, uh, and then pretty much jump right into the playoffs. Um, and they're inviting uh, twenty two teams, uh, thirteen from the West and nine from the East. Which seems a little arbitrary, but the West is always a little bit better uh, than the East. Yeah, um, the Knicks, uh, my Knicks, uh, did not uh, did not make the cut. I know no. we're all we're all shocked, and there is <laughs> mourning uh, and outcries from the people. Um, but uh, but they did shoehorn Zion in there, so they what they, shock. they got uh, they got yeah. their big ticket item in there. Yeah, yeah it, it's hard not to see some of the logistics of this. Uh, as trying to specifically get his Pelicans team a shot at getting into the playoffs. I don't remember where they're at in the standings, but so they are going to do this. They're going to do the eight game regular season to solidify the, the seating for the uh, playoff run. And this was interesting that they are saying that they're going to do a play in little mini tournament for the eight and for the seed. eighth seed. If, the ninth seed with is it is within four games of uh, the eighth seed. That's interesting. So I'm sure that's an attempt to. That's a combination of a to drum up interest and b to try to give Zion a chance to get in the playoffs in yeah. the West. Yeah, and I think we're also grateful that oh my goodness, there's going to be some basketball back. Yeah. That we're willing to allow the owners and the commissioner to just show their nasty underbelly of like, yeah, we we really want Zion in there. Yeah, and we're just yeah. sort of okay with it because yeah. we're lacking any kind of sport at the yeah. moment. We can all do our public and collective eye roll and then watch. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and and frankly, we're not going to care. No. Now, what I think is interesting is they're going to. I believe they're going to quarantine these players in yes. Disney World. Yeah. Um, I think that's going to be tough <laughs> because you're going to have young. I, I mean, most of the players are between 19 and 30. Yeah, that's fair. Is, is that fair? Yeah. M- the vast majority between 19 and 30 are m- so. So they're a, they're a population that think they're invincible. Yes. Already. Yes. A population who are at the top of their game, right? Uh, and and not only the do they have a propensity to think they're invincible? That's been reinforced. Yeah. And they're millionaires. And so try to try to explain to these people that you're, you are going to go play basketball, you're going to go to practice, and then you're going to be in the hotel. Yeah. How is that going to go over? Well, I think should we set the over-under on how long it takes before one an NBA player is spotted in a— on a Florida beach or in a Orlando nightclub that they're obviously not supposed to be in. What's the over under on that? On how many we see or how long it takes? How long it takes before it's, oh. before it's caught. Now it'll happen. I think yeah. I, quickly, but goodness, do you think a week? Like, like I just don't think it's going to take very long. Yeah. I think you're probably right. I, I just think it's maybe the first night they're, they're going to be out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's uh, that, that'll be interesting to watch how that develops, but, it is exciting that at least there seems like there's a game plan in place yeah. for the return of the NBA. Though I, I have not found a um, any place that I can find a a description of so what happens if 
a player or players test positive for COVID? Like they start to show symptoms. Yeah. Like Great question. Are, are they automatically like, you can't play? Yeah, I don't know. And what does that look like? I have heard that there was talk that they would expand rosters from the, it's a, it's a 15 man roster, right? I believe so. Yeah. To like 17 to 20 to pick up an extra two or th- two to five players. Just in case. Just in case you've got a team that's, you know, but can you imagine in the middle of the NBA finals, suddenly, you know, LeBron or the Greek mm-hmm. freak or, yeah. you know, some, some like elite level player who's in the finals test positive. And they're like, sorry, you're done. Yeah. I mean, I've not seen how they plan on addressing that, so it'll yeah. be interesting. But um, and uh, just for a baseball update, <laughs> the owners and players are still fighting, uh, and I, I'm less and less certain they're coming back ever. <laughs> yeah, millionaires versus billionaires. I mean, I, I had thought that I, I was originally optimistic that we'd see a return July Fourth to baseball, but that looks—I don't think so. That looks almost impossible now. No, maybe middle of Um, July, but that's even optimistic at this point. Yeah, it's funny to watch millionaires and billionaires argue over money and then watch them because they can't come to any measure of agreement, just lose all of it. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) it's like, where's the adult in the room to be like, look, we can either have no money Mm -hmm. or we can figure out a way to share what money there is coming in. Mm -hmm. Like, when's that going to happen? But in any case... um, also, on the sports front, I'm looking forward to this Sunday, the new 30 for 30 on um, Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa premieres. And I oh. think that's a two-part deal. No, that'll be great. Yeah, yeah, I remember that as a kid. That was very exciting. I, I remember it as well as a as a young adult. So um, so that'll be something to look forward to and maybe did, talk about. Did the Bruce Lee come out this past weekend? It did. I did not watch it. I watched about... Uh, I'm probably about halfway through it. So um, it's interesting. It, it's it, I really know almost nothing about Bruce Lee. And so to to see them talk about sort of his, his Chinese heritage and how, um, how Chinese people were treated in our culture and even viewed in Hollywood and, and you know, meanly caricatured and all that sort of stuff hmm. and him sort of pioneering new ground and, that was interesting. That's so, interesting. Yeah, yeah that's why I'm, I'm halfway through it, and it seems like it'll be worth finishing out at some point. But um, so we are this episode circling back to deconversion stories. We're gonna yeah. do part two here. Yeah. So uh, last week we walked through just just really some examples and walked through some individual stories of what had happened, and some of those were. Uh, Joshua Harris, right, um, probably a year ago now, um, had a public, uh, maybe... A little over that. little over that? Well, uh, uh, well I think the it was probably about a year ago that he did the, like, yep, I'm le- I've left the faith. Yeah. I think he had done the, I'm separating from my wife, like, three months before I'm that. I'm apologizing for my book. Yeah, yeah, and then the apology tour the year before that, or plus a couple years before that, so... So, yeah, we, we walked through his story a little bit. We talked a little bit about the... the podcasters and YouTubers, uh, Rhett and Link, uh, in their deconversion story. And then uh, uh, the lead singer of Hawk Nelson, John Steingard. Uh, we, we talked about him as well. Uh, and then we kind of left, we kind of told our stories, we kind of left it hanging. Um, partly because 
we think this deserves and needs more attention. We wanted to get their stories out there and talk about them and then and then yeah. have a fuller discussion about, okay, so what do we do with this? So yeah. so how do we, how do we respond? What, what do we think about? Um, and I know one of the questions uh, that commonly comes up, and Doc, I'll put this to you, is, <laughs> okay, so we have these these people that had evidences of faith, right? Yeah. I mean, Joshua Harris was a, was a pastor for a number yeah. of years. Yep. Uh, Rhett and Link grew up in the church, and uh, you know, by by all evidences, had a had a growing faith. They were part of Crew. You know, you you were yeah. a part of Crew. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and uh, Steingard was a lead singer. I know less about him. Lead singer of a, a quasi popular band, and uh, and was a pastor's kid, and and all have walked away, all seemingly having evidence of faith. So the question that people keep saying is, well, did these people lose their salvation? Right. Did they? Did they deconvert of their own volition? Like, what, what, mm-hmm. what's going on here? So, uh, as the PhD in the room, <laughs> uh, how do you respond to such questions? Yeah, yeah. That's. Let me start by saying these are important questions, and it, there's a value in uh, in in pursuing this. And of course, I think the starting point needs to be, um, what does the Bible say? Sure. That that needs to be our starting point, our foundation, and I think. When you look at what Scripture says, um, I think that you have to hold together a few different things that Scripture says. So on the one hand, um, I think you need to take very seriously that Scripture itself gives examples of apostasy, of people who gave, uh, who at at some level identified as a Christian Mm -hmm. and then walked away. So, um, you know, you have Paul mentioning Demas in his, in his letters about, you know, someone walking away from the faith. Um, and then, of course, you have the, uh, probably the most famous passage on this subject in the New Testament in Hebrews 6, mm-hmm. where you have this lengthy description of people who uh, seemingly give evidence of having been converted or having some sort of Christian experience, let's put it that way, yeah. and then falling away. And so what do you do with that? And so um, sometimes this discussion falls along lines of, you know, sort of Calvinist versus Arminian understandings. Um, You know, on the one hand, you sort of have traditional Arminians who would say, well, they were genuinely converted, and then they walked away, so they lost their salvation. So they were actually converted, and then they fell away. Yeah. Um, More the Calvinist side, you have the, they were either never genuinely converted. Mm-hmm. They just picked up the behaviors and the and, and those sorts of things and assimilated themselves to Christianity, but were never genuinely born again by God's Spirit. Or that they were in fact converted, and eventually God will bring that person back to, uh, to repentance and a renewed profession of faith. Yeah. So those tend to be kind of the options that, that are out there when it comes to big picture theological discussions. And, you know, all cards on the table. (laughs) I'm much more on the Calvinist Reformed side of things. I think that Scripture teaches that when a person is genuinely converted, that is a once-for-all decisive, no-going-back change of a person. They've gone from being spiritually dead to being spiritually alive, and that is an irreversible process. 
And I've heard you say this a number of times, so this is not new information for me, but um, you prefer the term because when people hear it, they go, oh, eternal security. Uh, yeah, I already saw the eye roll. Not, <laughs> not, not a big fan of that word. No. You, you much prefer the term perseverance of the saints. Yes. Can you, can you dive into a little bit of why? Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm not a fan of that term, eternal security. And what I like even less is once saved, always saved. Okay. I, I like that even less. <laughs> because I don't think that... Um, that that is the most helpful way of talking about what Scripture actually teaches. Hmm. Because I think that what Scripture teaches is both that God preserves His people and that He does it through the means of people persevering in the faith, continuing to trust in Jesus. And so I think it's important to talk about both of those aspects of, yes, God preserves His people, absolutely. And yet at the same time, the means by which he does that is by our ongoing trust in Jesus. Mm. So that a person who no longer trusts in Jesus should not have any confidence that they are in fact a Christian and going to heaven. Even if they walk the aisle, prayed the prayer, had some sort of experience, they should not have any confidence that they are in fact converted. Now having said that, I think it's crucial to stress that only God knows the heart. Yeah. So God has given us um, things to look for in terms of fruit in a person's life as evidence of what their heart condition is. But at the end of the day, only God knows the, the person's heart. And this is a different conversation than um, someone who struggles with assurance of salvation of, oh, gosh, I, I believe in Jesus, but I just don't feel like I'm doing enough, mm-hmm. and I, I really struggle with that. Like, I want to I walk with God, but, I, you know, I have struggles with sin or with doubts and that sort of thing. That's a very different conversation than I reject Jesus. I want nothing to do with him. I don't think he's the Son of God. Those yeah. are two very Those different are very different things. And I, the person that struggles with assurance is actually— I think somewhat encouraging to me in their in their Christian walk because yes. there's an understanding that I am a wretched sinner and I, yeah. I am in need of a savior. Yes, um, and, and that's that feels like ninety percent of the battle sure. at, at that point. Yeah. Now, um, so from my own perspective, there's a sense in which I'm going to say it doesn't matter whether a person who, so, you know, whether it's Joshua Harris or John Steingart or Rhett and Link, I don't know if they were genuinely converted or not. Yeah. I don't. God does, knows Mm -hmm. very clearly. Without any hesitation or doubt, God absolutely knows. However, here's the beauty. I don't need to know because the solution is the same from a human perspective. The solution is to call that person to repent. Sure. To turn away from their sin, to trust in Jesus. Whether that's for the very first time ever in a genuine way, mm-hmm. or whether it's a return to a pre-existing faith that was already there and maybe had sort of been buried in their life for an extended period of time. Either way, the solution is the same. So I don't get too hung up on, well, gosh, was that person ever really a Christian or not? Well, at the end of the day, the... My response, in part, yeah. is to be, I'm to encourage them towards repentance and trust in Jesus. And the, theolo- the, the theology part isn't mine to sort out on that end. 
God knows, and so we'll go from there. Yeah, we like to play God in that way, right? Yeah, right, trying to trying to figure out, oh my goodness, was this person? Wasn't this person saved? Um, when the reality is, we we call them to we call them uh, to repent and believe. Yeah. Right? We had a situation in a church I was in. I won't get into details, but um, a, a, an individual came under church discipline, um, and we had a meeting. We we invited him and, and asked him, "Hey, you, you need to repent of your sin and, and believe." Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was a habitual thing and, and something that had on, been ongoing for a long time. Uh, and he said, "Nope." And so we said, "Okay, so we're, we're going to do what Scripture says. We're going to treat you as a non-believer and call you to repentance and belief." Yeah. Yeah. And and eventually he did return to church. It repented of his sin and believed, which was a was a great story. Yeah. You know, it was, it was quite beautiful. Um, it doesn't always end that way, right? But yeah, and so I think it's I think it's important in these kind of conversations that as as believers that we don't look at individuals like Joshua Harris or Rhett and Link or John Steingard or or any of the countless other far less famous people who yeah. uh, walk away from the faith that. Um, I think that we need to be careful about making definitive theological statements mm-hmm. about their um, whether they were Christian or not, and and instead focus on we need to uh, reach out to them and call them towards repentance. And I think another piece is it should be a warning to us mm-hmm. that the possibility of walking away from the Lord is very real. And sometimes I think in 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 the, the sort of circles where there's more a Calvinistic bent or even just the once saved, always saved, there's the, oh, well, that can't happen, so I'm good. Like, no, it, it's possible. You know, it is possible to make a shipwreck of your faith, to walk away. And yet, at the same time, the, the Scriptures call us to have this posture of, Lord, I want to trust in you. I want to continue to believe. Help my unbelief. And uh, and those sorts of things. So, so um, so let, let's say we have a good a good friend uh, who we grew up in church with. We're, yeah. we're we're part of things, and they have, or or maybe a, a child. Um, you know, we, we do have yeah. a, a demographic of people that listen that have children, and uh, let's say their child is is seemingly walked away. Mm-hmm. What's on a, on a practical level, what's the response we should have? What's what's some of the things we should do um, in yeah. order to uh, to care for them? Yeah. So, um, as as I was thinking about this this past week, um, I don't know that this is the absolute comprehensive response, but I think it's catchy, so we'll go with it. Um, three L's, right? Okay. <laughs> uh, first is listen. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the most important starting points. Listen. Uh, there can be a temptation, I think, when in- interacting with people who are in that place to um, to immediately jump in and try to answer objections or like, well, no, 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 but like, listen, hear them out, allow them to unpack their um, their story, allow them to tell it on their own terms and hear them out. Because I think sometimes what happens is we can be so quick to jump in with, what we think are answers yeah. that it shuts down conversation and that the person's like, I can't talk to you. You don't get it. You don't understand. Or you so, don't want to listen. Right. Or yeah. You, yeah. You're more interested in winning a, winning an argument or that sort of thing. Sure. Like I, I, I just think that's the starting point of until a person probably has at least some measure of a sense of, okay, you've heard me out. 
you, I think you understand at some level what I'm saying, why I'm saying it, how I got here. They're going to be far more likely to then hear you mm-hmm. as you try to speak into that situation. Yeah, and maybe this goes without saying. Social media is not the place to listen <laughs> oh, Lord, or no. uh, to to have a conversation. Yeah. Right? You you need to be face to face. You need to you need to uh, probably be drinking some kind of hot dark liquid. <laughs> <laughs> um, that nourishes the soul and wow. uh, and uh, yeah yeah it needs to be needs to be an in person convo yeah yeah absolutely or, or at least a, a phone call or something there's just there are aspects of those kinds of things that make it social media can have its benefits but it is an absolutely terrible platform for those kinds of more nuanced personal in depth conversations yeah and. There's just no way that this isn't a nuanced conversation, yeah, right? Absolutely. Because because everybody's experience with it is a little bit different. Sure, there's not a, a singular reason why somebody is moving away or walking away. It's yep. it's it's often layered and, and mm-hmm. difficult to unpack. Absolutely. What about the, our, our second L? Uh, well, well, you came up with the three L's here. I was trying to <laughs> tee them up for you, uh, but the second L you have there is love, um, yeah. and I think that's that's. Part of part of listening, right, is yeah. is an act of love, uh, but also just just allowing them to say, "Hey, I, I know you've seemingly made this decision. I still want to be a part of your life. I still mm-hmm. want to be there for uh, the the different events, the major milestones that are going on. Still want to have yeah. you over for dinner. Those sorts of things." Yeah, the the the, the love piece I think is uh, important to also clarify that. Love in this context is not a sort of sentimentalism mm-hmm. because love includes finding winsome, uh, gracious ways to speak truth. Mm-hmm. That it's not just a, I'm just going to accept everything you've just said and I'm not going to give any pushback at any point. Now, obviously, there's a wisdom that takes place where you have to decide when and where do I start to maybe push back and say, well, have you considered this? Or, you know, it's, when you said this, I, I just wonder how you think that lines up with what Scripture says or what this, you know, like love does not mean just b- blind acceptance of everything sure. that that person says. Sure, or even pushing back and going like, what you said there about Christians or the church, I think is a caricature um, and, yeah. and not, you know, it's a straw man and you're not right. dealing with the actual church. Yeah. yeah, Yeah, and then the third one, which kind of wraps into what we just said there, but but linger. In other words, sometimes I think Christians can be quick to sort of cut off people like that from their lives and be like, oh, well, you're not a Christian anymore, and so I'm just going to kind of cut ties with you or, you know, no longer sort of try to interact with you. Um, so I think lingering is is good. Try to be Try to maintain a presence in their life where you can continue to speak truth and love them well. Yeah, yeah, R- remain, be, be around them. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Doc, with, with that, so sometimes this isn't—we we can't prevent this, right? The, if the Bible gives us a category for it, somebody who, mm-hmm. who walks away or is even a false teacher. Um, but there are some steps we can take to, uh, to, to deal with, as, as we saw in the, the four people we discussed. Um, what are some preventative steps the church can take or yeah. um, and, and maybe even individuals can take to, to help— sure. Uh, guard against this, even though it may be impossible at some level to sure. totally prevent it. Yeah. I think that um, I'm going to start, you know, we've got a list here of, I think, seven 
which was an unintentionally very biblical number. And um, I'm going to start with this one. Um, I think that part of what we need to do in the church and even in our conversations is to highlight and emphasize the beauty of Christ. Mm-hmm. That too often, I think, people's experience with with church or with Christianity, that it becomes a a set of beliefs. And obviously, there are beliefs involved, of course. But at the end of the day, it's about a relationship with God, a, a direct relationship with Jesus. And so I think that if part of what we're doing is showing them the beauty of the person, that that can help offset what are oftentimes questions that a person has that were like, I don't know how to figure that all out. Yeah. You know, for example, in, in, in both maybe friendships and even in marriage, there's a, I'm committed to the person. And even if there are aspects of that person that I cannot figure out, yeah, I'm still committed to the person. Mm-hmm. And I think if we can help people see and be captivated by the beauty of Christ and what he's done, uh, that that is setting a context for, okay, even if I don't understand all this, I still know the person and I trust Jesus. Yeah, and, and I think that's pushing back on the idea that we find Jesus useful, mm-hmm. right? That, uh, that yeah. And we find church in the scripture useful, which of course it is, right? Right, right. right. It, is, it is very useful, but if yeah. you don't have that ability to see the beauty of Christ, mm-hmm. um, you're just going to see him useful, and the minute he becomes not useful any longer. Yeah. Or inconvenient. Or inconvenient. <laughs> yes, yes. Which I think we saw in each of the each of the stories, right? Yeah. Like like um the usefulness of the gospel, the usefulness of Jesus was there, but it pushed against the sexual ethic for a number of them. Yeah. Um that, that they didn't uh that they didn't agree with. Yeah. Um what else on this list do you wanna do you wanna hit on? Here? Um I I think creating an environment where uh questions can be asked. Um, yeah. creating a, 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 I don't love this term, but I'm going to nope. use it anyway, oh, well. oh, uh, no. safe no, space no, no, uh, no. in order to ask questions <laughs> uh, and, and interact in, in helpful ways, right? Yeah. Uh, I think uh, particularly those of us on the, the Calvinistic reform side of things have a tendency to, to say things very certainly um, yeah. and say it in a way that doesn't invite uh, questions and conversations. So um I think I think that's another another space, and that was something that we saw in Rhett and Link's story that they had concerns, doubts, questions mm-hmm. that they didn't feel comfortable coming with yeah. uh, to uh, people in their church, except for a very very small minority, right. um, who were also asking the same questions. Yeah, and so you had a blind leading the blind sort of situation, there. right? And I think that I mean related to that is we need to talk about uh, Christianity and the gospel and. Our, and interacting with God in a way that still allows for mystery. Now, this mm-hmm. is not true in all strands of, of the church, but there has been a tendency at points to talk about Christianity as it provides all the answers. Sure. And so when those answers don't seem satisfying or in sort of thinking through difficult questions, people are like, why should I think there's a better answer? Or that answer just doesn't doesn't really land well for me. Like, it just doesn't make sense to me. That that starts to crack the whole structure of, well, I thought Christianity had the answers. Yeah. And to allow for, if God is who he says he is, and he's this infinite, 
holy, majestic being who's so far beyond us, of course there's going to be things that we just don't understand. And we need to be okay with that. Hmm. We, need to, we need to be able to, to, to encourage people to say, I don't have all the answers, and I'm okay with that. I think that Christianity and, and, and the Bible does provide a wide range of answers, hmm. but God does not promise to satisfy our curiosity about every possible nuance of uh, the world and how we should think about complex issues. He doesn't. Because yeah. at the end of the day, he wants the relationship with us. He wants us to trust him mm-hmm. in the midst of that. So I think there's a place for that as well. Um, yeah, just just kind of going down our list here. Um, building a holistic biblical worldview mm-hmm. um, and and uh, doing something more than that than just uh, the flavor of the day. I mean, we 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 talk about it as uh, moral therapeutic deism, which is yeah. a very research term that came out. Goodness, probably ten years ago now. Oh, more than that. You think so? Yeah. Um, but basically, uh, the idea that that our churches are producing people and the the, the average Christian today mm-hmm. is moralistic, right? Yeah. They feel like they should do good. Um, they are uh, they, they, therapeutic. They want to feel good. Yeah. And uh, they're deistic. They believe God exists, but it's uninvolved. Right. Yeah. And I think that uh, in in conjunction with that, I think you have to help people have a good doctrine of Scripture. Hmm. I think that sometimes our explanation of, of Scripture stops at sort of the buzzwords, right? It's inerrant. It's inspired. Yeah, Those are true things. But the kinds of objections to Scripture that are posed in our contemporary culture have to go beyond just a sort of simplistic summary of, oh, it's inerrant. It has no errors. Okay, it's inspired. God inspired it. Like I think we need to help people have a broader understanding of what Scripture is so that when they're faced with uh, the barrage of, in particular, when Scripture is counter to contemporary cultural norms, in particular about the area of sexuality, but in Mm -hmm. other areas as well, that people have a foundation to stand on as opposed to well, I know the Bible says that homosexuality is wrong, but I don't agree. Okay, so where do we start now? You know, or I've heard people try to reinterpret those passages, so they don't really say what they seem to say. Or, you know, when you when you get confronted with those realities, and your you know your sort of knowledge of Scripture is you know an inch deep, but you're immersed in a culture that says that the current sexual ethic of more or less anything goes as long as there's consent mm-hmm. uh, is going to it's going to overwhelm you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and just as a side note, as we read Scripture, it should push back on us. Yes. Right? Right? I think it was Martin Luther who famously said that the Scripture should interpret us, that that, that as we read it, we're not just reading it to understand it, but we're reading it um, uh, to uh, uh, as a mirror to us, mm-hmm. to, to show us where we don't line up. And we should come across areas of Scripture where we don't yeah. line up, and we need to repent and believe. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm often reminded of, um, I think it's Isaiah 66, uh, where I think it's verse 2, where God says, uh, essentially, uh, this is the one to whom I look, the one who is uh, contrite and humble and trembles at my word. Hmm. That our posture in coming to Scripture should be a sort of humble submission of, I want to believe what the text says, I want to 
live the way the text tells me to live and make sure I've understood, uh, understood it as best as I can as opposed to coming to it with an attitude of, well, I'm going to critique this. I'm going to, I'm going to, assort, I'm going to uh, sort of uh, assess what I want to keep and what I don't want to keep. At that point, you're just creating your own Bible <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, rather than submitting yourself to what God says in Scripture. And if you want an excellent book on the topic of reading Scripture, uh, there's a book by Matthew S. Harmon called uh, Asking the Right Questions, available yeah. at Crossway and uh, Amazon.com. Yeah, there you go. Thanks for the unsolicited plug. There you go. Um, I, I think another thing that we that we observe from the stories that we read, and this is maybe a little bit more specific to some of these contexts, but just being careful about putting people into positions of influence and leadership in ministry at young ages, yeah. and not just young in terms of like biological age, but like young in terms of spiritual age of mm-hmm. people who maybe have just recently come to faith and now they're suddenly in a leadership context or they're in a position to influence others. Uh, I think that can just just be very dangerous. Yeah, yeah. And it does, you know, it does, uh, I do think of our students in that way, right? Because a number of, particularly my students are, have a, have an understanding like, I want to do ministry. I want to be a pastor. I want to be in a local church. I want to be uh, helping others, which is wonderful. And it's a great desire. And it's, it's yeah. part of the calling, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I do fear that, that some of them, as gifted as they are, will be shoved into positions of power too quickly. Um, yes. And so I think time to develop, time to learn uh, will shape and form you. And, and one of the th- I think it's one of the helpful things about seminary, frankly, um, is that it, it takes a long time mm-hmm. and it shapes and forms you along the way. Yeah. And I think there's, there, there are ways to involve people in ministry without putting them in positions of leadership and influence or at least minimizing that. Right, yeah. That it's not a choice between well, they either do nothing, or we just thrust them as okay. You're going to lead our youth group now. Well, you've only been a believer for two years. Like mm-hmm. uh, I don't think we want to put you in that position, but we'd love for you to help under the guidance of a more seasoned believer. Sure, and be involved in the lives of the students and help out, and maybe occasionally teach a lesson in youth group or Sunday school. And while while regularly meeting with an elder to right. to work on your own spiritual growth. Yeah, and that's yeah. our last little bullet there in terms of thinking about uh, a sort of intentional discipleship that asks heart level questions that get beyond mere behaviorism. Yeah. So so hopefully that thirsted everyone's uh, or excuse thirsted, me quen- quenched everyone's thirsted everyone's uh, quench. everyone's quench, <laughs> quenched everyone's thirst uh, for wanting to hear more conversation about uh, those deconversion stories. Um, yeah. I, uh, there's, I mean, almost all of those bullet points that we hit, we could have unpacked at much greater length. But I think that this was our attempt to try to set a context for thinking well about these, about these realities. So uh, as we are on episode 23, we are to our athlete now. Yeah, which just feels a little too simple. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as I as I did the prep for this, it's, I, I struggled to come up with others who wore number 23 besides MJ, obviously. And so, um, and our nod to Ohio State, Ron Springs was a running back in the late 70s who was a a very good player, played briefly in the NFL, I think, uh, maybe with the Cowboys. But he's actually probably better known for the fact that he was the father of Sean Springs, Hmm. an Ohio State legend who then went on to play in the NFL as a great cornerback. So, um, but... 
I think it's pretty clear. You, you got to go with Michael, yeah. right? Yeah, you got to pick MJ. And even when I looked at the list of other people who'd worn 23, it's like, okay, well, there's like LeBron and Anthony Davis have worn. It's like, but they're wearing it because of they're Michael. making a nod to Michael, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, it's it, it, it's really a no brainer. So, on to one thing we liked this week. Yeah. So, uh, so my one thing is um, this month. I want to say. Uh, Amazon has a free rental of the movie Just Mercy, okay, uh, which kind of kind of goes through what the Equal Justice Initiative does in Birmingham, Alabama, uh, and uh, it's a gripping, powerful film uh, about race in the South and um, about the criminal justice system, particularly in Alabama, but expands it out. And you know, uh, they've uh, talked about over this uh, gentleman's career, uh, he has. I mean, remove. He exclusively represented men on death row who he mm-hmm. believed were wrongly convicted, yeah. and he's gotten I think 125 people off death row. So, That's so, remarkable. so pretty, pretty impressive. And uh, yeah, it was it was a gripping movie. Put me in tears at different points. So yeah. uh, worth the watch, and it's it's free right now on Amazon Prime okay. for rent. Yeah, gotcha. How about you, Doc? Yeah. So in a completely different direction. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, this past weekend, or maybe, yeah, I think it was Sunday night. So my, I, I'm not a gamer, so I need to qualify that. Mm-hmm. Okay. But both my boys enjoy playing uh, NBA 2K, and um, which is a, uh, for those who may not know, it is a video game that um, is a basketball game. You can create teams and simulate seasons and all this sort of stuff. And so there, apparently there's, there's, a, there's a feature in it where... It allows you to draft your own team and then run it through. You can play it or you can run it through a simulation. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So this past weekend, my boys were like, Dad, you need to do this with us. (laughs) So, and and it goes from like current players all the way through like um, historic greats. So, yeah, so it's, it's pretty exhaustive. So you could get, you get Will Chamberlain. You could, yes. Oh, interesting. So, um, so you draft the teams, and then we, you know, we have the computer simulate the season and that kind of stuff, and you know, you argue over who had the better team and that kind of thing, and um, it was a lot of fun. Uh, I'm convinced my team was the best in terms of, you know, it had uh, MJ, it had Kawhi Leonard, it wow. had, um, in terms of uh, who else did I have? I had Tony Parker on there, and and, and part of the challenge is so. There's three of us, right? But then the computer simulates drafts for the re- for the other, what is it, 27 teams. Oh, wow. So, you know, we set it up so we draft the first three picks. Sure. And then it cycles through. And, you know, the computer randomly assigns players to other, uh, to other teams and stuff. So um, my team made the playoffs, made it to the conference semifinals before losing, Jake's team made it all the way to the NBA finals in the simulation and lost in seven games. Oh. And John's team didn't make the playoffs. So Okay. <laughs> wow. Okay. But it's just it was it was a fun experience of talking through like, why would you draft that guy kind of thing? And so that was my my one thing I liked this week. But Okay. Sounds good. Sounds like a good time. I, yeah. I I'm gonna need to hear those other rosters, probably off pod. Yeah, 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 yeah. So all right. So the NBA is coming back. We had Deconversion Stories Part 2, Michael Jordan as the as the GOAT for number 23, and um, Just Mercy, 
NBA drafts. You're growing grass. Yeah. Not 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 drugs, but 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 actual green grass. Okay. Yeah. I appreciate you clarifying yeah. that. Yeah. So I think we're ready to to say mission accomplished. Are you good with that? I think I'm good. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, in light of that, I think all that's left to say at this point is the Lord bless y'all real good. Later.